to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. I couldn't be more delighted to introduce you this morning to Elle Roseby. Elle, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Melissa. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Brilliant. So um, in our Brave Feminine Leadership series, this series is all along the lines of no more secrets. Extraordinary leaders share their journey from good to great. But before I do that, I'm going to step through your very extensive bio, Elle, just to give our audience an idea of um, who I'm speaking to. So Elle Roseby is the Managing Director of Country Road and is consistently named among Australia's most influential retailer in Ragtrader's Power 30. Elle has forged a remarkable career and over 30 years she has risen through the ranks of some of Australia's most respected retailers, including Maya, Sports Girl and Supre, and her tenure at the latter two really cementing her reputation as someone who can orchestrate a rapid brand turnaround. At Country Road, Elle has been influential in repositioning the brand as a leader in sustainable design, both in fashion and retail environments. And her guidance in this area has led to partnerships with Oritane and Landcare Australia in recent years, as well as the launch of Our World, a dedicated platform for Country Road to share its sustainability journey with the wider community. The mother of two, Elle, is passionate about community enterprises and has spearheaded initiatives through the Butterfly Foundation, collaborated with charities like Red Kite, Headspace, Dignity Dreams and the Gray and Dingle Foundation. An advocate for local talent, Elle has been involved in the RMIT Tri Project and chair of the RMIT School of Fashion Industry Advisory Group. Alongside these projects, Elle has inspired a culture of leading with heart at Country Road. And it's leading with heart that's going to form the fabric of our conversation today. Elle, once again, welcome. For people in our audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, I'd just love to ask you to tell us about, you know, who you are as a human being. What, what's your background and how did this astonishing career get started? Well, thanks, Melissa. Um, well, I am a mother, I'm a wife. Um, I'm a child, I'm a sister, um, I'm a confidant, I'm a mentor, um, and I'm a best friend. Um, and, uh, and I live wholeheartedly, Melissa. Uh, I, as a woman, I believe I have a strong sense of myself. Um, I'm fairly strong and independent. Certainly my husband would tell me that. Um, but I'm also incredibly compassionate. Uh, and I'm very caring um, and I do really value, I'm going to say I, I value the simple things in life. Mm. Um, I value loyalty. I value great friendship. I value really caring for each other and being incredibly compassionate. Um, I have a true sense of belonging um, in, in my family unit. Um, and I have, I believe, a very strong work ethic. Uh, and I, I believe I, I really got that from my parents. Uh, and with that work ethic, I'm incredibly loyal, dedicated, committed, hardworking, um, but also vulnerable, Melissa. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, and I'm also very critical of myself, uh, and I'm incredibly competitive within myself. Um, but uh, I, I'm a constant work in progress, Melissa. Well, lovely. <laughs> uh, and uh and as far as uh how i came to be um i think for me growing up um uh, there's a 13 year gap between myself and my identical twin sister so i actually grew up as a only child so to speak and uh, my mother worked so back in the 60s which was very unusual for women, um, you know, to, to have a full-time career. And dad would also look after the girls. So back then, you know, that was virtually unheard of because, you know, women really stayed at home. But mum had her own business. You know, she had her own hairdressing business and my grandmother had her own um, kids wear business. And so they were always working. Uh, and so I always knew mum to work. And, uh, and I know that when I was at age 12 and... I no longer wanted to wear Target. I wanted to wear Jag clothing at the time. Mum was like, well, if you want to wear Jag, that you now need to go and get a job. And so we loved animals. We were a very animal-friendly household. And so she was, she was best friends with the vet up the road. And so I started getting a job there. So Friday night, Saturday mornings, that would be my work. And, and, and so I started at the age of, and I know now, you know, maybe you can't work that young, but 
but it, it was I didn't it didn't even realize it was work because I just enjoyed being you know of course up at the vet so Friday night Saturday mornings and then it happened to be every single school holidays and uh, and then when I turned 15 uh, my girlfriends were starting to work for McDonald's and uh, Red Rooster and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all of that and so I decided that uh you know, they were actually making more money than me. <laughs> I was like, well, hang on a minute. So, so I went to work for McDonald's and that was actually, I think that was actually a pivotal, pivotal point for me uh, because I really learned the value of teamwork mm. and, uh, and, and got into a, a leadership role within McDonald's. Uh, and then after, you know, after, you know, going through uh, my HSC, uh, I then decided to enroll in teaching. I lasted there for a day. And then I'm going to say I floated around, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and, and that's quite a difficult position for, for people to be in when they don't really know what they, they know that they've got passions about different things, but how do you turn a passion into a career? And I really love fashion, uh, and, but I didn't really know how to get into it. Um, I thought it was something, a job that, that other people got that I would never be able to get into. And so I, I did lots of different things. I went to work for the bank. I went to work um, at an advertising agency, you know, at reception, an advertising agency, until I just kept on looking for these roles. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough um, to actually get a role. And as soon as I got that entry role into a business called Cherry Lane, um, it was around about 35 years ago. Uh, Melissa, I don't know if you can remember Cherry Lane. Remember um, Cherry I mean, it was such a great business. And as soon as I walked in there, I, I was just blown away. And I was at, at the, the basic entry level. I remember taking a salary cut. So although I was working and also working at McDonald's, I just went, no, this is actually where I want to be. And I remember it was quite a substantial salary reduction. But that, that was my start. And then as soon as I got into there, and, uh, and I, I just remember being surrounded by these incredibly glamorous, intelligent women. And I just remember always being quite, you know, almost had, uh, I, I can remember being so young and just looking at them in just amazement and thinking, oh, just would love to be them one day. And, and then somebody said to me, if you really want to take your career seriously, now, now go to Maya. And so that's when I went to Maya once again at a very entry level and, and worked my way through Maya. And, and then ended up being the head of Miss Shop or co-leader of Miss Shop and then being tapped on the shoulder to go to Sports Girl um, yeah. to, to then lead the Sports Girl business. Uh, and then that was sold and then that was um, owned by Naomi Milgram. Uh, and when I was at Sports Girl, I was head of buying. Then I was a general manager. Um, and then when I was having my first child, uh, I was appointed CEO for that business. Uh, and I was there for 15 great years. Uh, and, and working with some of the, I'm going to say some of the industry's best, um, those that gave me great practice and skill and discipline. And then I had the opportunity to go and work for Nigel Austin um, and his phenomenal team at the Cotton On Group uh, to take on the brand Supre, um, which he had acquired and built a brand new team from scratch and enjoyed the successes of that and, and, and the difficulties of that as well too, which really challenged me, um, but in such a positive way. Uh, and, and, with, and with the Cotton On Group, it was around leadership and culture and, uh, and being incredibly entrepreneurial, which that group is. And then I had the opportunity, of course, to take this role, which is the managing director of Country Road, which I was able to master my skill. You know, I've been building up my skill for the last 35 years around mastering me and mastering mm -hmm. skill. And I was able to master that here at Country Road. So, uh, and I've been here really for the last four years. Um, and it's been, an, so it's been a phenomenal journey, uh, Mel, for me. Incredible. There's so many things that I want to pull out of that conversation, but I'm still left wondering around, can you remember your first, jag purchase after you started earning your own money oh yes it was a uh, the shoulder pad it was a shoulder pad denim shirt <laughs> and, and, yeah and it, you know and oh my goodness oh 
Yeah, absolutely. And you couldn't get shoulder pads big enough and you just add the shoulder pads in, yeah, to make those shoulders look really broad and gorgeous. And uh, yeah, I haven't actually thought about that, Mel, but yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because, you know, you, um, I mean, what a what a gift from your mum to, um, you know, to kind of say to you, if you want to wear that brand, then you need to get out and work for it. Um, and, and you can remember those sort of pivotal moments when those things happen. So, okay, where are we going to go next on this? I think what I would love to ask you is, can you think of, can you think of a point in your career where you first maybe entertained the thought that you could be a CEO one day? I think ambition for me started when I went to Cherry Lane and I and there was this moment that I looked at my boss, Barb, and I just thought, I just want to be you. Mm. And that that's all I could think about. I just wanted. So I think I think it was the role modeling yes. for me. It was somebody to look up to that gave me that drive. And mm. it wasn't actually about a title. It was actually just more about their level of responsibility and accountability and the influence that they had in, on the business. And I remember that moment. And that was, you know, I was 19, yes. 20 at the time to yes. have that moment. So I think that that was quite pivotal for me. And so, and so then when I went into Maya, it, I, was, I was fortunate enough there in Maya that they, I, I'd be in different departments. So I, I started in men's jeans and then I went into trend shop. And then I moved into uh, men's uh, designer, a, a designer, and then I moved into boys' wear, girls' wear, and then I moved into Miss Shop. So I was constantly on the move through mm. the my organisation. Um, so I was never bored, Melissa. You know, so I was always being challenged. So I suppose I didn't even get a chance to think, oh, I want to be a CEO. I want that next role. Um, I'm going to say there was a great pathway through my that provided me that opportunity. Yes. Uh, and then when I got to Sports Girl, I was, you know, the buying manager. And then when the general manager role became vacant, here you go, the general manager role became vacant. I went for that role and so I didn't get it. Up and went, uh -huh, okay. And I didn't get it the first time around. Mm. And, you know, I, that, 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 I, I struggled with that. I didn't understand why I didn't. Um, and it was explained to me why. Um, that somebody else had the credentials yes. um, and they came into the business and, you know, they led the business for a short period of time and then they left the business and then I put up my hand again <laughs> and said, I'm here. <laughs> I know <laughs> I can do this. Uh, and, and, and so I think, it was, I think it's more about that, Melissa. I think it's just more about I, I truly believe that when you work for an organisation, you want to make that organisation greater and so how do you influence that organisation and enable it to be better and better and better? And, and I just felt that that was my next role in that organisation to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and, and then, of course, once I was and, and taking that accountability on and working so closely with Naomi, I was then given the opportunity to be that CEO. So And, and so as soon as you're kind of there in that general manager, CEO, I kind of see it all the same, to be honest with you, managing director, CEO, it's all the same remit to me. It's a very strong leadership position that you hold within an organisation and influence down and across. Um, Do you so, enjoy being a CEO? Sorry, say that again? Do you enjoy being a CEO? Yeah, I did. Absolutely, I did. Um, yeah. I didn't even, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, Melissa, because I don't actually even see it being a title. What I see it as being is a responsibility. And I really enjoy being responsible. I really enjoy driving financial outcomes and at the same time working and really being able to influence culture in an organisation. So I've been in so many situations where I've been at the other end of culture and behaviour um, and it's really frustrated me and it never got the best out of me. And I always promise myself because of the experiences that I'd had with different leaders at different times that I could just see that they were never getting what they could be getting out of me. And if I was ever in that position, how could I, not, how could I, how could I enable that to happen to people who actually worked for me? 
So I think that that strong desire to, you know, provide a greater level of influence in an organisation was not just about business strategy and drive and results, but it was actually about empowering and bringing out greatness in people. Mm. Um, and, and, And I love this industry. So the more I do that, the greater... I know my role is in this industry as well too. Mm. So I, 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 yeah, I love, I love doing what I do every day. Now you could call me a different title and it actually doesn't matter. It's just more about what I get to do every day. Yeah. So how early in your career did you get profit and loss responsibility? At 20 uh, I, I was running. I was running a business. I was running the trend shop business as an assistant bar at about twenty-three years of age. Mm. And that's incredible opportunities. You know, when we look at a lot of the research around why we're not seeing a lot of female leaders shift into CEO roles, one of the reasons is that they haven't um, picked up PL experience along the way. So to have had that at such an early age is is terrific. Um, yeah, Mal, it, 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 that's quite an interesting um, conversation because I have my growth discussions with my team mm. and one of the conversations is, is actually how old are you um, and where do we need to get you to because at this stage and this stage, you're going to have to have these titles and these levels of responsibility. If you want to be there by that day, you know, by 40 years of age, what is it going to take for you to get to there? Uh, because sometimes when we have these conversations with our teams, it's all about they want to do a presentation skill training update, but it's actually no more about where do you really ultimately want to get to and how are we going to fast track that for you? You know, I had a great conversation even last night with somebody in our business that is, you know, 28 years of age and has already completed her MBA yeah. uh, and is a potential superstar in our business. So how are we, tracking, how are we fast tracking that talent in our business? Brilliant. So, yes, you're absolutely right around we, we don't have time to waste because also women do go off and have babies. Yes. Um, and so they lose, they can lose critical time, Mel. Um, and, and, and that's more about a time frame. Um, I, you know, when, when I had my first child, I was only off for three months. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't good for me. Um, mm. and, and so I'm very mindful of those you know, what, what, you know, you know, pausing your career, having children coming back up, you know, coming back in, picking up your career again, you know, there are years in that. So mm-hmm. that's why I think that these, you know, fast track conversations are very important yeah. to have. I want to get into a lot of your experiences around that. But before we go there, I just want to ask your opinion around leaders. Where do you fall on the conversation around leaders are born or made? Mm. Yeah, I, I'm going to say I've evolved this thought over time. Yes. I believe that not everybody has leadership capabilities, okay. particularly narcissists. Okay. Okay. Um, so narcissists are incapable uh, of leading teams effectively. Uh, they show no empathy. They are uninterested in developing others. They are only in it for themselves. They take all the credit um, and they are actually culturally uh, ineffective. Uh, They might be really great at what they do, but they do not make great leaders in an organisation and they can actually be culturally toxic. There's going to be an audience who are going to hear that and go, I've I've worked for one. Um, I dare say if they are a narcissist, they're not going to say I am one. Um, But... Have you worked? <laughs> you worked for some, have you? No, Melissa. I've I've tried to work with narcissists, um, and, and 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 it's funny, you know. I never actually even understood that word mm. until I actually saw a very similar personality trait coming through, and then I really wanted to understand more about that personality trait, and then I realised there was a terminology for it. But what I know is that I. I and I throw everything I possibly can at it. I cannot work with narcissists. Mm. I find it very difficult to, and I find it incredibly difficult for them to hold a leadership role in an organisation because they are completely ineffective and I will not have them on my leadership team. So where you land on that then is subject to them having a 
not not having narcissistic um, tendencies, you can build um, leadership. But I would love to ask you, um, how quickly do you spot those tendencies now? I think my hindsight on this, Melissa, is what you listen for. Mm. Uh, and 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 so 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 I'm I'm more inclined now to listen because I'm going to say sometimes they're brilliant. Yes. I mean, sometimes they, you know these people are absolutely phenomenal with what they do. You know, so you look at them and you go, "Wow, you're you're incredibly skilled." You're great at what you do, but it's actually just then how you impact the organisation. Mm. So, and that is around behaviour. It's what they're saying. So sometimes when you see somebody so great, you just see their greatness and you're not listening for anything else. Whereas now I'm more inclined to listen um, and watch more than just be obsessed and think that they're fantastic and wonderful. I'm, 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 I suppose I'm a lot more alert to that. Yeah, it's such a fascinating conversation. I know in my last series, we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, one of the keys to leadership success is self-awareness. And, you know, a fact that, you know, there's a lot of individuals who will never reach their ultimate potential because they lack that. And, you know, I think, I think there's probably a lot of people in that category. Um, so, okay. Let's go to some pivotal moments in your career that, and you've called out a couple already along the way, so we're probably going to get some bonus ones with you, but, um, you know, what are those moments that really stand out that probably shifted you from being a good to a great leader? Well, first of all, I, that, that's very nice for you to say around being a great leader. Uh, I... I, I I would probably say around greatness, Melissa, that first of all, I'm obsessed with greatness. I'm, I'm actually obsessed with the sense of what greatness is. We're here for a very short time, Melissa, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and so if you're going to do something, then for me, it's about really mastering that craft. I think there's a beautiful intersection of mastering craft and mastering self. And so I think if I look at my journey, I think that every time that I've, I've tried something new or tried something different and really been incredibly uncomfortable about doing something different or new, that's when I've fallen into, I'm going to say, a new level of greatness, you know, because greatness is just this sense of I'm better than what I was yesterday. So I don't see greatness as being egotistical. Yes. I see it as this sense of achievement, of, of being proud of yourself, of going, wow, I'm actually coming into myself. Mm. So the more I'm comfortable with the uncomfortable, the better I become and the better leader I become. Mm. The more difficult conversations I have to have with people, the better I become. The harder I am on my, you know, on myself, the better I am. Uh, so, so I think, and, and 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 when and when there is that sense of greatness as well too, there's also this incredible sense of kindness that you have to wrap around it, or else you'll just be, you know, you'll just criticize yourself all the time. So, I and and I think that with a sense of greatness, you've got to have great people around you that actually want the same thing for you. So I know, you know, and I experienced something last week that I'd never done in my life before. And I was so petrified in doing it. I thought, oh, my gosh, how? What, first of all, what am I doing? Why am I putting, being put into this situation? I'm incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. But I asked my leadership coach to be present at this, you know, particular thing that I needed to do. And I knew in the audience that there was a couple of people that I could really trust. Brilliant. And so I... I Put myself out there and I did this thing last week and oh my goodness I was you know in my head I'm you know of course I'm I'm trying I'm trying not to be negative I'm trying not to listen to these thoughts I'm trying to stay attentive I'm trying to do all these things and but but at the very end I came out of it and I felt like if this was me I felt like I just I went up to here and I felt like I could fill a room I felt that I could own my space. And I know that sounds quite odd, me saying that with the role that I have. 
but it was this, an incredible moment and, and my leadership coach came up to me and she was wow you know you really owned your space you really filled the room and so I think with greatness when you're mastering greatness make sure you've got great people around you that can actually really support you and, and give you great guidance and she was great we're going to ne meet next week and we're just going to unpack that and, and you know so, so I think that's important as you're mastering yourself. Uh, and then, you know, I had other team members, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the audience as well, too. They were able to come up to me and give me some really great constructive feedback. Just to ask, what were you doing? Okay, so for me, it was it was hosting International Women's Day uh, for the yeah. Melbourne Fashion Festival in Country Road. And that's something I've never done before, Melissa. I've never given an opening address for 10 minutes. Yes. I've never hosted an event for 370 people. And, um, and so for me, that was a really big deal. You can ask me anything about my business, and I'm really comfortable with doing that. I'm comfortable one-on-one, -on -one, one on 10. I can actually hold a store manager's conference for 1,400 people, yes. but in an audience that I had no, 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 you know, no association with um, and having to give an opening address uh, is something that have made me incredibly nervous. Yeah. Uh, but it was a great experience for me. That and I is, came out of that on top. That is so lovely and open and vulnerable for you to share. And there will be so many people in the audience that you are right, will be surprised to hear that. But it's one of the reasons I have these conversations because I think it's super important for uh, you know, aspiring leaders and others to realise that we all juggle these feelings of self-doubt and growth and those sorts of things each day. How have you, you talk a lot about focusing on, you know, self-mastery as well as mastering your craft. What has that looked like for you? Like what, what have you done to, to I won't say achieve it because I don't know you ever achieve it as such, but yeah, what, what have you done? What works for you? Oh, first of all, having, uh, for, for me, having a leadership coach. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so probably if I went, if I went back in my career, I would say um, I loved watching. I loved watching what was going on in an organization, listening to conversations. So uh, I was always quite inquisitive and I, and, and I think that it started with me around, I, I always knew I was going to do something else. Like I always knew that I was, I was going to be in leadership roles. I just knew that of myself. And so for me, it was always watching, you know, how, as I said before, how people got the best out of me. And so I was quite inquisitive around that and, and, and why some leaders really showed incredible empathy. I mean, I, I once had a, I once had a leader who I was, incredibly ill you know for for a period of time for about two weeks and I can remember she was so concerned about me she came around to my she came around to my house mm. made sure that I was okay gave me chicken soup and and at one point actually said no you're going to come and just stay with me because I can see that you're really not well mm. and so I did for a couple of days with her and I thought that that was just incredibly kind and generous and and empathetic and, and I'd never experienced anything like that so that was kind of the that was the extreme scale right through to the uh, I once was about I was once asked to go for a role and uh, you know and, uh, and it was the last you know it was it's, it was heading up a really large part of the my portfolio mm -hmm. and I said no and I said no because I didn't like the environment that was in this particular part of the business Hmm. and uh and I I didn't like the culture I didn't like the people in there I just I, it was a little I'm going to say a little toxic for my liking and so this 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 leader said to me don't ever let anybody hold you back I'm here to support you this is the next right career move for you and you will do great things and so that that you know so when you when we talk about this path to greatness i think it's also the inputs that you've had along the way of really great people um influencing you um and showing you that belief system it was naomi appointing me ceo as i'm about to go on maternity leave yes now that would have been unheard of at that point in time almost i would have thought absolutely unheard of and so then you go wow and and what that meant for me around being a mum going on maternity leave and being able to come back into a really senior you know role in the organization yeah. so you can imagine how then that affects me and my view on leadership on women you know when they're having babies 
um, being promoted, you know, for, for, oh my goodness, we've got so many examples here in our organisation where, you know, of course, you know, people have been promoted regardless of whether they're going to go on maternity leave in two weeks' time because they're the right person for the role and we'll keep it open for them to come back into. So all of those things, I think, for me, have really taught me, um, first of all, given me the basic foundations of, of you know, of of what it feels like to to want to work for someone and actually do good work. Mm. So so that that that's been an important foundation. Then I think when I went to the Cotton On when I went to Cotton On, uh, and I had you know I had a great leadership coach around me then, uh, and then I I started. I was so inquisitive about myself, and I can always remember my first meeting with her. And I, I, I was triggered by something that she said and I, and I thought to myself, wow, how am I actually showing up and what does this actually mean for me? So I, I would say I've had, oh, wow, at least, oh, goodness, at least nine, ten years of leadership coaching. Uh, and that's somebody that I see on a regular basis. Every two months I'm sitting down with my leadership coach, working on myself with whatever is coming up for me, whether that is me leading teams and issues that are coming up and how I'm, you know, how I'm actually managing those issues, how it could be triggered by different things um, and, and managing through COVID as well too. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's, I, I love Brene Brown. I love Simon Sinek, Daniel Coleman. So I'm a big reader. Uh, and I've just got I've just got this real interest in getting the best out of people, getting the best out of myself. And I know when I see that in, in my business and you empower, you see greatness come up again. And to be honest with you, when you see that greatness, it actually fills your bucket as well, too, because you're seeing somebody really live into their potential and you've got great gratitude for that. So I wanted to I, ask. I remember, Elle, when you and I first met and, and, you know, we were talking about career journeys and things like that. And one of the things you said to me was you had to learn to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. So what did that look like? Because there's a lot of us who, and I'll raise my own hand, um, there's a lot of us who've been on that journey. Yeah, I, I was never, uh, I, I was not that person who asked for help. I was raised a very particular way um fiercely independent and um and I and I and I and I don't know why that was that I could never ask for help maybe I I, I didn't want to show that side of myself that weakness side of myself um and I think for me Melissa that when I realized that I needed help was when I you know when I became pregnant and I had my first child mm. And I went back into the workforce, you know, three months later, and uh, I wasn't coping. It was clearly that I it was clear that I wasn't coping because mm -hmm. what I was actually trying to do was do everything. Yeah. I was trying to be a great wife. I was trying to be a great mum. I was trying to be great at my work. I was trying to be a great friend. I was trying to be a great daughter. I was trying to be all of these things and still continue life as normal. So I wasn't great at asking, and, and I think also when we have babies as well too um we just expect our husbands to read our minds yes that's so true you know they, they, you just expect them to you know to be able to go yeah I I know that you really need to just have a lunch with your girlfriends so why don't you go and do that and of course I was just waiting for my husband to say all these things and you know he's the most kindest person but of course he never did and so then I become really angry with that but in actual fact I so I, I think I learned to ask for help there at that at that really important point of of, of having my first child where I realized I couldn't do everything mm. and and then also the most important thing when you are asking for help is that you're going to have to give up some other things so you know for me I was in the kitchen and my younger daughter said to my, you know, to their grandmother, oh, mum, and they, you know, they were referring to their grandmother. And, and I remember going, oh, my God, you know, I can imagine the guilt that's just gone mm -hmm. into that conversation. And then I just had to remind myself, I'm so lucky that these girls love their grandmother so much that they just have called her mum. Yeah. So I think when you do ask for help, how do you then 
how do you then just make sure that you're really appreciative for that help? Because there's going to be sometimes there's going to be consequences to that. So, um, so, so what I what I was able to do was realize that that I couldn't do everything, and actually then just get a lot of outsourcing. To be honest with you, coming into the business, whether that be uh, you know my, my, the grandmother looking after the girls for a little bit, uh, me not socializing as much. I knew that I also had to give some things up to uh, Melissa. So. That, that's what I really gave up, probably socialising and being with friends because I actually had to prioritise. And even today, I have to prioritise where my time is. Um, but, yeah, it... Um, yeah, asking asking for help. And, and I'm just trying to think what that looks like today for me. I was going to ask you that. Can you... Do you ask for help today? Did it transfer back into your professional life? I think where I ask for help now is probably in my safe space with my leadership coach. Yeah. I think that that's probably where I ask for help. Um, I, I think also with my leadership team, um, whenever, and it's not about asking probably for help, it's just making sure that we're all there to support each other on this next you know, trajectory that we're going on and we're all aligned on that, yes. um, which is probably not, not a sense of help, but... You just don't want disalignment, which causes all other issues in your business. Um, where else do I ask for help? I might, I'll, no, I'll, I'll, change. I'll yeah. change and ask you, what about saying no? Um, I, I say no to a lot of things now, Mel, because I actually can't do everything. Um, I'm, I'm, probably better in my personal life than what I am in work. Yeah. And and I think for me saying no at work, you know, I think the way I would say no at work is really understanding how it fits into the the strategy of the business. Mm. Is it actually just something that is is actually just going to be, um, uh, you know, distraction? Uh, or is it something that's actually going to be worthwhile? So I'm, I'm, I'm more. That's probably where I sit at the moment with saying no to things, uh, because or else it, you just spin plates, you spin plates, you spin people, and then you're just like this. So I, I have to understand the context of what I'm being asked to do, mm. um, and, and there would have to be a really good reason for me to say no, because actually, is it more of an opportunity for me to learn and grow from? Uh, so here you go. So um, so when our group CEO left and he went into David Jones, uh, we were without a CEO, group CEO, for around about nine months. And so I was given the opportunity with myself and two others to co-lead the organisation on top of my day job. Yes. Yeah, on top of being in COVID, mm. on top of my mum having dementia and being away, my, on top of my dad having cancer, on top of, you know, um, moving and buying a house. Now, I could have very easily have gone, oh, no way, there is no way known I can actually do all of this. But I found a way to say yes. And that way to saying yes was sitting down with my husband to say, I've got this incredible opportunity. This is actually what it's going to look like. Yes. It means I will not be coming to bed before midnight every single night. Uh, it means that I'm not going to be able to do this and this. But I absolutely am going to spend every Friday night with my father because that was really important. Mm. So, you know, saying no, it's about being really considered about what you're saying no to. Mm. You know, what, so am I going to get great growth out of this and experience or is it going to spin plates and it's just not worthwhile doing? Okay, so um, I, it was the growth and experience side, the hunger for that, that enabled you to, to get to yes on that. Yeah, sorry, the question there, Melissa? Yeah, so just thinking about the fact that you said yes, given all of those other things going on in your life, that pull, so it's sort of more of an assumption than anything else. Am I hearing you say that the pull, the growth, the hunger to grow and learn is what got you to the point of saying yes? in that situation oh absolutely it did I mean there was a moment where I just went forward this is going to be this is going to be a massive task but but actually how do you problem solve it to get to the yes Uh, and who actually needs to help you you know is that help bit again who needs to help you to get to that yes 
because I knew damn well that I wouldn't be able to do the breakfasts, the lunches, the dinners, because I was going to be on call to South Africa at all, because of course, different time zones, you know, till, you know, whatever time at night, and then actually do my day job. Mm -hmm. So it was going to take a lot of time out of what I would normally enjoy doing from a family perspective. And then where were we going to find time and joy together? So what we were, what we, where was my husband able to help me be able to do those things? So, uh, yes, it, it yeah. was, um, and, and, and we had great outcome, like I enjoyed every minute of it. But it was a very interesting moment for me. And I had to remind myself at different times because at times it, it could be very exhausting mm-hmm. that this is what I've asked for and this is, you know, what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. Um, and once again, you know, we talked about greatness before. Uh, you know, I came out of that even greater than what I than when I went into it because I learned so much of from the from the WHL board and and from our South African colleagues, uh, which was really growth. It was a really inspiring growth opportunity for me. Fantastic. Would it sounds like as I listen to you talk back over your career that you had some very strong female role models along the way. Would you describe your environment as, you know, is it, are there a lot of female leaders in the space or, or is retail male dominated? What, how would you describe the space? Well, in a department store environment, which is really where I started, um, there was, a, a, I'm going to say a very good balance of, of female leaders there um, that I did get incredibly exposed to. Uh, I think probably the the most influential was Naomi when I worked for her for 15 years and then being exposed to the head of leasing, Mary Mackay, um, being exposed to Mary Portis, who, uh, you know, was our um, our, um, branding agency um, from the UK. So, and that, you know, of course, you know, incredible leaders and, and incredibly talented in their own right. So I had great exposure there. And then along the way, I also had leadership, you know, uh, responsibilities as well. I had Susan Renouf mentoring me and helping me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say there was, there's always been, and I think that that's what this retail industry is about. I mean, there's incredible female leaders in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that it's something like it's 90% female, uh, female dominated. But at the very top, you know, the very at the board level, I think we've still got work to do as a general industry, uh, but certainly in senior roles. And I think that that's where, uh, you know, when our teams go on maternity leave, we want them to come back because they've really been working for us for such a period of time and they're really great at what they do. So we make every opportunity we can to bring them back in and then how can they be those female leaders in our organisation, you know, really senior leaders. So I think the industry is pretty good, but I think there's still some work to do at that at that really top level, board level. Would you have any advice? I'm just thinking of people, some people would be at a tipping point in their career COVID has been really challenging for a lot of females as well in terms of, you know, extra burdens and things like that, kids at home, all those sorts of things. You know, I think there's a tipping point for a lot of females. Would you have any advice to people who might be at that tipping point about, I can't take any more on, I'm at capacity? Yeah, I understand that, Melissa. There, there, there is that moment where you do feel that, um, I, I think I, I think I'm actually at that point now where you go, well, there is already so much on. But there is, but I think that that's I think there's a couple of things in this. I think it's a prioritization. And, and, and I'm not somebody that is regimented with my time, right? I'm just not. I'm not that type of person. I think I think it's a prioritization. My family, my husband are the most important people in my life. And when all things are said and done, they're the people that are going to be there with you forever. And so that's my priority. Now, I now, and and I'm able to work in a working environment that understands that and embraces that. So then, so so there's that, yeah, and and then so that that that's culturally that's that cultural alignment that's really important for me. If I ever thought to myself, I am not being a great mum. Sometimes you have those thoughts, but you know, but really, but you know, generally, it, I, I would have to say to myself, am I actually in the right place? Yeah, because I I want to make sure that 
you know, this is it. This is the life that we have and it goes really quickly. So are you being supported? Are you in the right environment? And if you're not, then you're going to have to make those decisions about the type of cultural environment you want to walk work, walk, um, work into. Uh, sorry, walk into. Um, I think uh, yeah. Can we just pause there, Mel, if you wouldn't mind? Elle, I would just love to ask you, you know, there's COVID's been extraordinarily challenging for a number of people. And, you know, I hear a number of people are in a situation where, you know, they're, they're at capacity, you know, that they, they don't feel like they can take any more on. And I just wonder, um, you know, you've had moments in your career where you've probably had those sorts of thoughts. Would you have any advice to people who might be sitting in that situation right now? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people are feeling this right now. I'm actually seeing it a lot. Um, I think as we're coming out of COVID and just getting back into the workplace, getting back into a rhythm, getting back into a routine, I think people do feel mentally they're at capacity. So I don't think that you should underestimate what we've all gone through. I think that that's actually perfectly normal. Yes. So, so let, let's just park that. But when I think... For me, when um, when I've been at capacity, what's been really important for me is more around uh, the prioritization of what's next for me. So I might go, well, um, I, I, I've already got so much on my plate and this has come my way, this opportunity, or I know I should be doing this. So here you go. I'll give you an example. So I look at my career and I think to myself, okay, although I've got my leadership coach, I've also put myself on hold, my own development on hold. And although I'm reading books and I'm got my leadership coach and I'm doing everything I can from a business, but actually me personally, mm -hmm. I actually would love to do a director's course. Yes. So, but I, I look at myself and I go, I just know right now I don't have that within my, my capacity because of what I've got on but it's actually something that I'm going to work towards so I think for me it's about planting that seed to say that's something that I want to do and so when I've actually come into this year I've actually been very deliberate with that to say now I'm actually signing up for it so I've signed up for it so I'm done. that's absolutely something I'm going to do let me pace myself into it let me do a sh few short courses before mm -hmm. I do this big thing yes. and now what does that mean for me so what does that mean that I have to give up and then that's where I come back to my husband or a little bit with work. So how can you also have a conversation with work to say, you know what, I'm actually, this is really important to me. What can I either give to somebody else, delegate, you know, delegate to, uh, or have some understanding around that allows me to leave a little bit earlier, um, that maybe I'm not going to these meetings anymore because it's something that I want to invest my time in. So I think it's being a little brave, if you like, yes. around making the call for yourself I think this is you know sometimes we don't want to ask for things but it's actually just being really clear on that and then working out the how, how are you going to problem solve it not actually going to someone going hey I want to do this but I can't actually what is your solve of that problem so I think that when you're at capacity be there know what you want to do Nav work out how you're going to do it. How are you going to free up your time? Who do you need to get involved to help free up that time? Go to them, problem solve it for them. Um, but just make sure that you're not taking everything on, that you're just pacing yourself through it and probably be my advice through that one. Brilliant. And I'm taking my own advice at the moment too, Mel, on that one. Fantastic. I've done that course and it's brilliant. So uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I would love to ask the question that I ask everybody, Elle, um, and that is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Brave feminine leadership to me is, um, I think it starts with the very basis of believing that you're worthy. Mm. I think it then comes falls into then once you know that you're worthy, of that leadership role that you have, whether it be personal leadership or leadership in an organization, it's in really owning your own space. It's about leaning in. It's about understanding that you're not always going to have the answers or yet you always need to listen. Uh, I think it's about showing empathy. It's about showing compassion. 
Um, I think it's about being able to, in those moments of having very difficult conversations with people, really being in that moment with them, yeah? Mm -hmm. And they, they feel like you are with them on their journey. I think that that's that feminine part about that. I think it's about showing strength and resilience, particularly in really testing times. And I think it's about being comfortable with the uncomfortable. I think where brave feminine leadership might evolve to is the day when we don't have to have brave in there. <laughs> you know, we're just great, you know, we're just great leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think that for us to do that, I think that we need to, what I find with women is that sometimes we don't believe that we're deserving for some reason, mm. um, and yet men are all over it. They validate it, they're, they're there, and yet we still feel like we have to prove things. So I think the shift for me will be, when do we believe that we're enough? When do we believe in our greatness, as you said before? When do we believe that we are truly worthy and this is a job and we actually have the gusto, you know, to actually ask for things rather than expect things to actually happen for us. And when will we act, when will we stop having the voices in our heads talking to us about the reasons why not? Um, because I don't see men doing that. Men have got they've just got this incredibly incredible bravado that that I think that women need to lean into more, including myself at times. Mm. So I'd love to see you know, when we're talking about leadership, that bravery, and I think that that's it. I think it's believing in yourself. It's believing that, you know, you truly deserve that role um, and, uh, you know, and stop worrying about what the, what's holding you back in your head. I believe that that's where the shift needs to be. Um, but, uh, yeah. Brilliant. I could have kept talking all day, Elle. So thank you so much for joining our conversation on Brave Feminine Leadership. I am so thrilled to have been able to um, spend time with you today. Thanks so much, Mel. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Have a great week. <laughs>